I'm Amelia. And I'm Sophie. And welcome to So Ma, So Good, a Fruits Basket reboot podcast. Here we talk about the second season of Fruits Basket. We try and keep it spoiler-free, but sometimes we slip up, so if you're avoiding spoilers, please check the episode description for timestamps as well as content warnings. Uh, this episode, for sure, is going to be pretty heavy, just given the nature of the episode we're discussing. If you've seen the episode, I think you basically know what you're in for. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Holy shit. This is one of my favorite episodes of Fruits Basket of all time. Um, absolutely yeah. brutal, but super well done. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've said before on the podcast, but chapter 84 is my favorite chapter of the manga. And the first half of this episode was 84. Mom, holy shit. Just. It was so good. Very, very happy with the way it ended up. I mean, it's it's definitely, like, something I've been looking forward to seeing adapted. I mean, it's been all of these years, and this is, like, such, I feel like, a pivotal moment in Fruits Basket, and also just, like, I think when we finally start to get the complete picture of Yuki's childhood I think this is like the final like like we've been getting it piecemeal throughout the series like getting bits here and there um but this is I think where it's finally all laid out and it's just like satisfying to finally be here finally see it yeah all its horrifying glory and both because we're because also we're both like longtime fans like you we both read it as kids right yeah I think so like oh it's just been so long so long <laughs> whoo i love yuki so much um <laughs> yeah so much i love yeah. yuki this episode's gonna be really long um but hopefully we'll make it worth <laughs> it for you guys <laughs> there's we have a lot to say about our boy about our perfect yeah. rat boy and this episode is fucking dense so i like I like I'm like just like trying to I can't, you can't fit it into a couple of words the effect this episode had on me which is why this episode of yeah. the podcast is gonna be fucking over an hour long I bet um, <laughs> all right should we just like get into it and stop uh waffling yeah, yeah let's go um well I actually my first note I took literally two seconds into the episode mm-hmm. um. And it's that I loved that they started the episode with the sound of Yuki's coughing. I think it really sets the stage for, like, I mean, his childhood illness that I think as an audience we gen- generally kind of forget about because he is, like, mostly grown out of it at the in the present. Um, but also that, like, as I've talked about before, like, the illness as a metaphor for the curse and how it's something that your body does that you can't control and it's just, like, a complete detriment to your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah I like that they like pretty much instantly set the tone for that yeah um and it also instantly sets him up to like it immediately is like his mother is reprimanding him for coughing which is like not only is she reprimanding him for something that he can't control but she's punishing him for his own suffering uh Mm -hmm. which it's just rough it's rough it's a, ter- it's a terrible thing to do to 
a child. Yeah. To I think it's like there's you you you're gonna see a gazillion instances of this, but in all of these, anytime Yuki's in pain, emotional or physical, what you should do to a child in pain is comfort them, and instead he is uh, routinely punished for his own suffering. Uh, so we yes. just get right <laughs> off the bat with that, you know. She also says something like, um, oh, he's such a sickly child, like, I'm afraid he's not going to be a suitable companion for Akito. Um, And I feel like her words, like, and also that she's like, stop coughing, it's rude. And she's like, I feel like there's an implication there that, like, his illness is his fault. Like, it's his own personal fault that he's not going to be a suitable companion for the family head. And I think that's something that, like, he doesn't understand what she's saying when she says it at the time because he's, like, four or something like that. Um, but, like, it really just sets him up for, like, a lifetime of, like, blame and self-loathing for all of these things that are not his fault, that he can't help. Um, but it's just established so early in his life that, um, like, he really believes. And also, like, w- compounded with Akito and everything that happens, just that it is his fault and he's the failure. Oh, bad. The fact that we're 30 seconds into the episode right now. Yep. Um, (laughs) One thing I noticed uh, on a different note is he's introduced wearing Western-style clothing. Um, So we see prior to him being basically sold as Akito's companion, he dresses in Western-style clothing, and then throughout the rest of the episode, unless he is in a school uniform, he's in kimono. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They do a good job with clothes and fruits basket. You, it's like it's fun. Yeah. No, actually, the like that is um, a lot of the uh, shots in this episode were directly ripped out of the manga, which is great because the this chapter is gorgeous, and that was actually a note that I made when I annotated the chapter was that he's in Western clothing. Yeah. And then, yeah, every other time he's with Akito, I think, with, like, one exception, he's in a kimono. Yeah. A formal kimono as well. It's it's formal, not, um, like, casual. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Yuki's initial reaction to Akito was, like, so visceral. It was amazing. Like, also, kudos to his voice actor, his child voice actor, who absolutely destroyed. Um, but, like, this moment, I was like, oh, my God, yes, when he gasps, and that's all he does was very beautiful and like the tears in his eyes and how flushed his face is i thought it was a really good adaptation of that manga panel Mm -hmm. they also once again he's uh reprimanded for crying yes (laughs) he's four (laughs) and like yeah which he's excused for by the maids because whatever curse magic but still just like he's not allowed to i think it's also like not only is he punished for um, suffering or for expressing emotions, but I think he's especially punished for expressing things that could be perceived as weak. Um, mm. So like being sick, crying, um, which I think is interesting because he's yeah. not a particularly like hyper-masculine character or anything, but it's still you see him kind of consistently punished for showing any kind of weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, oh, I wanted to talk about the the switch between voice actors. Um, he says, it, the child voice actor says, um, I couldn't help it. 
and then Shimazaki picks it up and says something unnamed. And like, I like that, like his, the as a child, his inner monologue, like he's like so completely overwhelmed with emotion, like he couldn't help it, but he doesn't know what it is. And then even as a teen, like he's able to articulate a little bit better, but he's still like very emotional and like can't exactly like pinpoint what it is he's feeling. And I think like, it's a interesting like uh, look into the curse and what it feels like for the Zodiac members. Yeah. It's like, it's not something that you can articulate. It's all completely emotional and not completely in your control. Mm -hmm. And I think the curse is a metaphor for like generational trauma and abuse within a family or like this weird fucking magic cult thing. Uh, It's like this in, this intense combination of like love and also disgust and so it's like this like extremely overwhelming positive emotions paired with these extremely overwhelming negative emotions that just leave you feeling really sort of trapped and confused um which i think Mm -hmm. it's it's a good they do a good job with this metaphor man i wanted to talk about uh I wanted to talk about the sound design of those lines of his conflicting thoughts about Akito because I remember in the manga it was done with color like it's like his positive thoughts are in like a white panel and his negative thoughts are in a black panel with white text and so I was wondering how they were going to do it and they like first of all like the delivery is different like his delivery of the positive lines is very like high and um it's very like clear and high and then all of his negative ones are delivered like very dark and like um, like low lower down in his throat, and the there's an echo effect on it, and it sounds fucking awesome, and it just makes all those thoughts sound very like forbidden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked the way that they executed those. Yep, pretty. It was killer. Yeah, and that's the cold, cold open. open. Oh my god. Oh, uh, <laughs> are we done with the cold open? Did we? Did, did, did that's the cold open? Okay. Um. Well. Next, uh, I guess we move into, uh, Yuki as Akito's playmate. Yeah, and he's put in this formal kimono now that he's like officially taken on this role. Um. And I think it's fun that he's like Akito's playmate but you never actually see them playing together like even when they are like even before Akito has this like mental breakdown like it's like Akito on the floor reading and Yuki sitting very like prim and proper next to him like motionless and then there's like some untouched toys on the ground next to them so I think I think that's interesting yeah no I I liked the the toys next to them that and that EP isn't playing with them because they're not his yeah. you know it's not his house they're not his toys they're Akito's mm-hmm. um I liked that Yuki like immediately highlights like Akito had temper tantrums but they're not what they are now like I like the stress that they put that Akito was different as a child yeah and it's just that Akito's just like a bratty kid what this episode really like stuck out to me is that Akito as a kid prior to like the paint scene is basically just another traumatized child the same as any of the other Zodiac children like 
they have some emotional issues, but like so did Kyo, so did Yuki. Like at that age, they were all very similar, sort of like in their behavior, pretty much. Like, um, and I think it's just like part of what makes Akito such a compelling villain is that they aren't necessarily inherently evil or inherently abusive, um, and that they theoretically had they not been in this toxic environment or entrapped in this curse the same way everyone is trapped in this curse they theoretically had the potential to grow up to not be the person they became yeah for sure yeah this was I, this like episode is obviously about yuki but we got a lot of like interesting insight about akito mm-hmm. um i especially like the scene like where like akito snaps at yuki to stop coughing mm-hmm. and then like kind of realizes that Yuki is like kind of startled or like scared by it and calms down and like picks up and also cleans up after themselves which like I don't know I feel like like I used to fucking beat the shit out of my brother for breathing too close to me you know like (laughs) you know what I mean like (laughs) like I that it's just like a normal thing to be like stop coughing and like throw something yeah and then they just recover, and no, it's, like, it's, like, interesting that they, like, highlight, like, Akito's just, like, a brat. Like, like that's it. Akito's just a brat, and that's it. And also has emotional issues. Kids, kids <laughs> From the fight. horrible place that they live. Like. Yeah. It, their brains aren't formed yet. They don't have conflict management skills. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it is, like, I, I, it makes me wonder if people are gonna be a little bit more sympathetic to Akito. I don't know. Yeah, because, I mean, Akito, I think, is a very sympathetic uh, villain. Oh, no, I think Akito's a very sympathetic villain, but a lot of people hate Akito. Yeah, I mean, fair. Akito does attempt to murder people. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's like, I understand, but, like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, I also think sympathetic villains doesn't necessarily mean they're, like, actually a good person. It just means they're a sympathetic right. villain. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Then we see, um, I wanted to talk about the shot of Yuki standing inside the doorway as he's watching Akito be comforted by Shigure. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, I like that he says, I I don't like know exactly what he meant by this specifically, but he says that he didn't understand what was so sad. Um, Like he didn't really understand why Akito needed to be comforted, but I also think like he doesn't understand like why he's watching them. And I think, like, he wants that. He wants to be comforted. And he wants human contact. But he just, he doesn't know anyone. He only knows Akito. Yeah. <laughs> he has no social skills. Um, but he's too young to be able to recognize that he wants what Akito is getting. Yeah, I very much agree. I also think that Yuki doesn't really... I mean... In Yuki's mind, what happens, like, the chain of events is if you express discomfort or, like, unhappiness, you don't receive comfort, you receive punishment. That's what, that's what the, like, if you, if Yuki runs that equation, that's what happens, and Yuki's never been comforted, so Yuki doesn't even, like, know what elicits that response, because nothing's worked so far, um... (laughs) Jesus Christ, someone please hug this child. Um, Please. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's like both, I think, 
good narratively that it leaves kind of Akito's own suffering ambiguous so we can get into that later um and then also I think yeah it's fun that Yuki and I think most of the Zodiac don't understand Akito as a person because Akito is Mm -hmm. held pretty separate from everyone else and also they have this sort of like really sort of weird relationship to them that they can't really control because of the curse and so I think they have a hard time understanding like Akito is very human underneath like being god yeah agree um and also well going off of that and going into the next scene um it also has to do with how Akito sees themselves in comparison to the Zodiac um and that like I think like Akito I mean and Akito said it before like oh what like you want to understand me you want to know who I am as a person really yeah he um says that to Toru in the beach house he also says it to Momiji right yeah in the same scene Mm -hmm. um and like yeah like Akito I think like purposefully keeps themselves away um to maintain that status of like superiority um but yeah the next scene is like the mental breakdown (sighs) oh my god (sighs) so like this scene the mental breakdown scene with the black paint literally has haunted me ever since i read it when i was like fucking 11 or whatever like, I will, there are just, like, a couple things in Fruits Basket that have lived rent-free in my brain, no matter how <laughs> many years it's been since I've actually read the manga, and now it's finally here. But, yeah, like, this really, this scene makes me crazy. Um, yeah. 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 First of all, Akito's voice actor, who I, I found out, it is the same voice actor who plays Akito as an adult as well, which I like. And I could kind of tell for, like, a couple of words. I was like, that sounds like grown-up Akito. And it is. Um, fucking destroyed this scene. They sound so good. Uh, I really liked the change as, like, Akito is, like, spiraling in this, like, like, we're the same. Like, we have to be together. We have to be the same. And then switches to actually we're not the same i'm better than you because i'm the chosen one and i'm needed and you're useless and no one needs you and everyone hates you um and this like this switch from like we were saying like akito is just like a spoiled and like insensitive child to this person who like needs to put others down to lift themselves up to this like godlike position that they are very entitled to and is expected out of them from the family um and I liked that, like, this change of heart was visually um, shown to us by, like, they stop painting and the paint is, like, dripping down the walls. Um, and that's when they change. Um, I liked, like, the the visual of the, of the decision-making. Um, and this is definitely, like, this is a genuine mental break from a child that Akito just never, ever recovers from. No. Um, this whole scene was very beautiful. And I also think that it's, like, maybe the first time that, like, Akito has acted genuinely scary in front of Yuki. And he clearly doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, 
yeah and the breaking of the paintbrush was so super effective and like really denotes to yuki that this is not like a regular temper tantrum yeah and i think like there's something fucking menacing about like breaking a paintbrush into like oh this is a fucking steak now with a jagged edge like (laughs) weapon um yeah i i love the paint scene i love the way like takaya in the in the manga and then obviously like this decision was carried akito is having this mental break is experiencing um this like spiral of negative emotions and i i like that i like the black paint so much i just like that it's like they need they feel the need to like make it like if they have to feel this everyone else has to feel this they have to be able to like make this visible they have to change their environment to fit their internal environment and they don't feel like it's fair that if they have like they want like yeah they have this this sense of entitlement that uh it's not fair to have to deal with this negative feeling alone. Like, the world should bend to how they see it. Um, they can't tolerate any kind of other perspective. Um, and so they fucking paint this room. And I also like they're painting on the walls. Like, it's like they can do whatever they want. They can get a random thing of paint and paint the walls and not experience consequences from it because they're God. And it's like, and it's kind of calls back, like, if you're a little kid and you draw on the walls, you get in trouble for it, right? And it's sort of a childish thing to do. I mean, I drew on the walls as a kid um, and was told not to. Um, But now we see Akito engaging in this kind of childish behavior in, like, what could be a normal tentered tantrum, but is obviously something more genuinely concerning and frightening. Uh, And then, uh, like obviously doesn't or well we have no idea we don't technically see the aftermath of this but we can assume from the way akito is treated by the household staff that they wouldn't experience any consequences for this behavior yeah agree um also i did shout out to annabelle who made this gyp set um the blocking in the scene is the same blocking as the scene of Yuki in the closet in the previous episode. So, like, both, like, the paint spills the same way, same angle, Yuki backs up in the same way, falls down in the same way. Um, And I like that they kind of tied that in um, to show that, like, this is, like, the reason that Yuki is thinking about this is because of what happened in the closet in the previous episode. Mm -hmm. Well done. Good visual metaphor, team. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, so much happens in this episode like what even happens next uh, uh, oh new year's banquet right um shout out to every yeah. single person who thought that ritsu was kisa me too uh a second, <laughs> but there's two blondes and we got there eventually <laughs> yeah um all the babies very cute um like, I love just seeing them as babies. Yeah. Uh, Fruits Basket artists, are, uh, the, the anime artists, know how to draw two, maybe three ages. They know how to draw adults, teenagers, and young children. And all the young children, regardless of age, look 
exactly the same age and all of the teenagers look the same age unless they're like momiji um and then all of the adults i mean the adults is fine whatever but like i think it's a little questionable that like Haru would look older than even say like Kagura as a child because there's like a three-year age gap and when you're like very young children Kagura should be taller than Haru even if Haru is always tall for his age like it's still like if someone is like four and the other person is like seven it they should it yeah Um. well honestly Haru and Momiji probably should have looked more similar in age because you don't need to baby find Momiji if he's five yeah but (laughs) but he still looks older than him that's just a little nitpicking and it also like i think it akito looks way more similar to like the younger age group in appearance than like the older age group when akito is i think like i mean solidly in between uh but yeah akito's small akito is about five or six years older than me yeah and then five or six years younger than, like, Hattori and Shigure. Than Shigure Hattori. Yeah. yeah. But instead of looking, like, in between an age, which is what the reality is, like, I think as kids, it should have been more obvious that Akito was older, at least, just because that's how kids work. But I think, like, now, like, at, at the older age, it's more passable because, like, people stop, can stop growing when they're, like, 14 or even younger. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think Akito probably should have been a little bit bigger than Yuki than they were. Yeah. They're like a... Because that's a pretty significant age gap when you're that young. Yeah. Like, once... Like, now in, like, the current moment, I think it's fine how old... I think it's, like, totally believable. But as kids, it was a little, like, eh. That's just me being kind of nitpicky. But, oh well. (laughs) Um, yeah, so... Oh. Um two of my I want to talk about like two of my favorite panels from the from the manga that I thought was really well adapted is Shigure and Aime looking at Yuki like apathetically at looking at Yuki and he's like tears his gaze away from them and he's like literally sweating with anxiety with that he they even caught him looking at them which I think like one like really speaks to the fact that like he never developed any skill for socialization like what is happening to him in his childhood is detrimental for the rest of his life and that he's not developing skills that you need to function as an adult um like regarding like socialization and like you know just being around people in general and you can tell that here because like all they did was look at him and he's fucking terrified and also i think Yuki is probably pretty intimidated by them because he knows that Aime's his brother and Aime's never said anything to him and Sugar is his older friend who he knows comforts Akito so like what is he supposed to say to him um so I thought it was very well done fucking sad it's sad I know oh god this (laughs) fucking child um I know yeah it's such a bad life exceptionally bad (laughs) very bad um yeah like and also up to this point like yuki has barely like he's like monologuing to us the audience but i don't think he has had any lines other than a couple i think he said akito's name a couple of times like he doesn't say anything Mm -hmm. until the scene with kyo yeah 
the scene with Kyo, I, like, visually, I'm obsessed with this. Um, yeah. Just on, like, I, I love the shot of them where they're both outside, and Yuki is standing in the shadows, and Kyo is illuminated in this, like, glowing orange light. It's just, like, so fucking good. But so in, good. But despite this, like, difference in light, it's, like, they're still both, like, outside. They're still both isolated. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just... And I think, like, I like the glowing light, and I also like that this is technically, like, Yuki recalling this. This is, like, Yuki's memory and how he, perceived, he perceives these events in hindsight, and he remembers Kyo as this, like, kid with this, like, beautiful, vibrant orange hair like, standing in the light, but then when you think about it from, like, the, like, the perspective that we know is, like, this is this, like, sad little kid, like, trying to peer into this, like, New Year's Eve party he's not allowed to go to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, this, I want to say, like, one, my one critical thought about this scene, because this scene is my favorite scene of the chapter, I wish that the camera angles had been more creative. They were very flat. Um, And the angles that Sakaya chose for the manga were not. And I wish that they had maybe even used the same angles. Um, But that was, like, my only criticism of this scene. It was just a lot of, like, wide shots, medium shots of their face, back and forth. Like, Mm -hmm. very flat. Uh, Yeah. Um, And Yuki is so happy when... Kyo, like, acknowledges him and, like, knows who he is. He just wants a friend. And I think, like, he really, like, I mean, obviously he doesn't have this thought process because he's too young, but, like, he knows that Kyo is ostracized because he knows the story. Mm -hmm. He's heard the servants just now talk about him, and I'm sure that people have talked about him before. Knows that he's ostracized, and he is ostracized. He feels like he is. And he thinks, like, maybe, like, Kyo could relate to him, like, he, and be his friend, and they could be ostracized together. Yeah. Ugh! Yeah! Fuck! Yeah, like, I think, like, having that, like, bit with the servants talking right before, where they kind of are, like, saying weird little shady things about Kyo is, like, and then Yuki hearing that and wanting to go investigate the weird lonely boy standing outside is very much, like, yeah, Yuki is, like, seeking someone who can relate to what he's going through. And then, um, he is met with, um, an unfortunate, the unfortunate reality of what's been done to Yuki and Kyo, um, which fucking breaks my heart. The more... Every time I think I read or consume Fruits Basket, Yuki and Kyo gets more and more tragic to me. Uh, I, it's so sad. Uh, like, Yuki goes out there seeking a friend, seeking understanding, and Kyo uh, is like... starts a screaming at him. Uh... Which isn't Kyo's... I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not Kyo's fault that he's confirming Yuki's worst fears about himself, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they're both... It just sucks because, like, Kyo has been brainwashed. Mm-hmm. And 
he's been blamed for things that aren't his fault and couldn't possibly be his fault. And, I, I mean, they blame him for his mother's suicide. That's, like, that's horrible. That's, like, on another level of horrible. And he knows it's not his fault, or he has to convince himself that it's not. And so he's just created, like, he is the family scapegoat, but he's created his own scapegoat in Yuki mm-hmm. to cope. Because it's the only way that he can cope. Yeah. Yuki's convenient because of the mythology, because of his own mother's fucking suicide note. Um, yeah. Which I don't know if Kyo would have read or been told, but considering how flippant Zodiac members are about discussing things children absolutely <laughs> should not hear, it would not be shocking if this information made it to Kyo's ears. Um, yeah. I do really like the detail in the moment where Yukio starts yelling at Yuki and blaming him for why his life is a mess uh, is that, like, he gets the monster pupils, he gets the monster eyes from True Form, and I think it's both, like, something they do sometimes for Kyo, but I like that combined with, I think, that if you think about this read through the eye of memory, this is where Kyo starts becoming less of this like oh possible friend more enemy more okay he's a little mon he starts becoming a little monstrous to yuki because he becomes this person who's saying horrible things to him who's terrifying uh yeah and then combined with all of the things that he hears from the other zodiac members about kyo and about the cat being a monster and then when he meets him, he meets someone who's being extremely aggressive to him. It, like, feeds into this, like, mythos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Completely agree. I think that's correct. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, I love the person who plays Kyo as a child, which, have I said that before? I don't know. I'd, I've taken note of it before because she's really, 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 really fucking good. Um. And he just sounds so fucking rough. And you can tell, like, you can tell, it sounds like the delivery hurts. And you can tell that he's just, like, so, like, like engulfed in just, like, rage. Um, it, it's, like, it is so intense. Um, shout out to that person who plays Kyo as a child. They're so good. There's so much good voice acting in this show. Truly. Yeah. No, the fucking voice cast is just, like, all-star. They're all amazing. Yeah. I really liked, like, um, Yuki has this, like, like, as Kyo is, like, saying this stuff to him. And he just has this, like, he looks so shocked and, like, hurt. Because he's never even said, he's never met Kyo before. And Kyo's just, like, saying all this horrible shit to him that, like, Akito says to him as well. And I love, there's just, like, right before, like, Kyo, like, delivers his last line, there's, like, a pause, and Yuki just, like, breathes, like, so shakily, just, like, in anticipation of, like, whatever final blow Kyo is about to to hit him with. So fucking rough. These (sighs) these boys really uh, got fucked up by the fucking cult they were raised in like yeah this is just it's it's a tragedy what happens to the two of them like in the sense like obviously like what happened to them was tragic but i think like the story of their relationship to each other is very tragic um yeah 
And then we move into another fucking soul-crushing scene. Uh, or, oh, do you have more to say about... No, it, it was about that. It was about the way he walks in. Oh, baby. He, like, he like walks into the... He, like, walks back inside, and he's, like, dragging his feet. And, like, the way that, like, the lines are delivered, like, it feels like... it. Like, what it sounds like is, like, that his chest is almost too tight to even get the words out. Because he's, just, like, crying so hard. Ah! Mm. <laughs> but, like, the way he's, like, dragging himself in towards his mother, but I can't. It's so fucking brutal. Uh, this is also another moment that haunts my fucking memories. Um, yeah. I, I just the sound effect gut guts me was so, so loud <laughs> yep it's just like so Which is great jarring and i think it's like it, it's like this it's this sharp escalation in like his mother going from like cruel and distant to actively violent um what this scene really reminds me of um is the scene with Rin, where she goes to her parents' bedroom seeking comfort, and, like, the hand reaches out, and she expects it to be comfort, and it's violence, and the same way that Yuki goes to his mother seeking comfort and receives violence. Ugh. <sighs> and also, she fucking hits him with her full strength. Hard! He's six. What the f- She hits him so hard. Just And also I love that like it just like knocks all of the emotion off Yuki's face. Like he immediately stops crying. And he's just like not making any expression anymore because he's just like uh, I mean I don't even know how he would be able to like process what just happened. Everything that just happened to him in the past 5 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I think this is around the time in the episode where I just like I started making notes about every time things happen to Yuki that confirm the things Akito says to him. So it's like, Akito, it's like, the rat is hated. Like, you are hated. Everyone hates you. And then Yuki goes and meets Kyo, and Kyo is like, I fucking hate you. And then Akito is like, your mom sold you. Your mom doesn't care about you. You're not wanted. And then Yuki goes to his mother for comfort and gets slapped in the face. Um, and so it's just like, and then it, like, we continue this throughout the episode and there's, uh, like it calls back, like there's some flashbacks that like, like the Ayami turning away from Yuki, another confirmation of no one cares about you. No one likes you. No one wants you. Um, the way that other he overhears random staff talking about how his mother sold him like literally sold him as akito's companion to get more money and also i guess not to have to deal with him so that also confirms what akito is saying to him so it's like not only is yuki being verbally abused and manipulated but the environment he's in in which he's both being abused by his mother and then uh Basically, the environment of the cult that Akito and the staff have created lends credence to what ev- everything Akito says, and so it creates, like, it gives Yuki no reason not to take everything Akito says to him face value. 
Like, why would Yuki not believe all of the horrible things Akito says when so far it seems like they're all true? Yeah. Yeah. Fucked up. Ugh. I want to talk about the flowers. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, they're camellias. I think that's how you say it. Um, and they're the flower that always represents Akito. Um, and there's a lot of them in this episode. Like, a lot. Um, and I think, like, when they have an establishing shot of the flower, it is to indicate an event that is just, like, like very, very traumatic events mm-hmm. for Yuki. And I also think, like, as the petals are falling off, it's kind of just starts becoming, like, his his spirit like being crushed and like he's kind of just like losing the will to like I don't want to say the will to live like this early but like his sense his hope, of like identity hope. and like self and yeah. any value or like yeah yeah but yeah that's yeah every time they showed the flowers like it was just followed by a totally crushing scene yeah. <laughs> That I think, like, Yuki probably remembers very well. I forgot. I wanted to mention, I don't exactly remember when this happens, but there's, like, a flashback shot, sort of, to the moment where Yuki is wants to go home and his mom is holding him away from her by his forehead. And, like, one, that shot was just, like, depressing when we first saw it in earlier episodes. But also I really liked what they did with the shot where... They show like this familiar shot and then we get a close-up where we see Yuki's face and that he's crying when this happens. Um, which is just like, wow. Uh, who the fuck let this happen? <laughs> it's just awful. Uh, it's awful what is being done to him. Yeah. So, right, so he overhears these like presumably Zodiac parents, which is kind of interesting, talking about him. Um, and then my favorite, my fucking favorite shot in the entire episode of Yuki standing in front of these, uh, it's like a paper window, and it's just filled, completely filled with the flowers, and he's standing in shadow. You can't see his face at all because he's standing in shadow, um, and just, like, It's just, like, it's all-encompassing. Like, everything that Akito says to him, everything that's happening around him, it's his entire life. He doesn't have anything else. And it's dragging him down, like, into darkness. And, like, I thought that that was a very beautiful shot. I liked it. It it was effective. It, sure. Yeah. It was symbolic. Symbolized things that make me very sad. (laughs) It was door posting. It was door posting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it's just, I think, like, everyone is just, like, I, all of the little bits where you hear, like, random staff talking about Kyo, about Yuki, I think really kind of reinforces how this is a cult and how there's all of these adults who basically know what's happening and are either, like, assisting, like, are, like, actively participating, or just letting it happen, like, 
bad. Everyone just is like, this is fine. This is how life is in the Soma clan. We're just going to casually chat about what we would do if the head of the family wanted to buy our child as a companion. Like, <laughs> bad. This is not how, like, it's... I think it's like Fruits Basket has like a mixture of these like just like mundane horrible things that happen to that could happen to anyone anywhere and then like the very cultiness of the somas where it's like this is not this is not normal. Yeah. And it like fully is a cult. Like that's not a joke. Yep. Um okay, so the next scene is the car scene which is just another scene that's just indicative that of Yuki's jealousy of Kyo and how Kyo just has everything that Yuki wants Mm -hmm. and he can never have. And like this scene, like, first of all, like he gets admonished by his mother for literally no reason. Um, She's speaking for him saying that he doesn't have any thoughts or opinions. Yeah. Um, But I mean, he doesn't respond because he knows that she's going to speak for him. Yeah. It's very much like she just, decides things for him and decides who he is instead of it's not it's like there's a difference between saying he doesn't he he hasn't expressed his opinions like he hasn't told me anything Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have any opinions um yeah yeah and she says she says that like same thing like in the parent teacher conference she's like you never had any opinions like you could never think for yourself as he's trying to tell her his opinion yep and then it's, like, immediately, like, she goes, he doesn't have thoughts and opinions. And then it cuts to Yuki clearly having desires, clearly having thoughts and opinions. Like, he wants he wants to be there. He wants to be with the other Zodiac kids. Like, clearly that's something he wants, something he has an opinion about. Um, yeah. yeah. I also thought that, like, him looking out the window was, like, a good moment of, like, it's you could read it as or watch it whatever you can interpret it as him wanting to be Kyo instead like he wants to be that person he wants to be free he wants to have friends but i think it's also him not necessarily wanting to be Kyo but just wanting to be there with Kyo like mm-hmm. wanting to be part of that group wanting not to be Kyo but to be with him and be with all of the other kids yeah yeah yeah. wants fucking friends jesus christ is that so much is that so much to let a child have literally any friends and then well actually good segue because so the next scene is he is in school and he's talking about how he doesn't interact with his classmates because he doesn't want them to hate him more than they already would which is like he already has developed an insanely deep fear of rejection to the point where, like, he doesn't speak to his classmates because he thinks that they already hate him. I mean, makes sense, because Akito is like, everyone hates you, always, and it seems true to him. Then everyone else is like, I hate you. Yeah, <laughs> either ignores him or <laughs> tells him he hate- they hate him to his face, so it's like, why would Yuki believe literally anything else? Um, I feel like a lot of the times you can get caught up in, like, negative self-talk and whatever and, like, believe a lot of untrue, unkind things about yourself without there actually being a ton of basis for having those thoughts. But the thing about Yuki 
is that like I don't think anyone in his position would be able to believe anyone anything else about themselves. Like it's not just that he is an insecure person and that he's like dealing with things that a lot of people deal with with like self hatred and stuff. It's like he's been like aggressively conditioned by by his mother, by Akito, and by his surroundings to hate himself and think everyone hates him. It's like a per. It's it's not yeah. irrational, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like his thought process for thinking this is very rational and depressing. Agree. Yeah. No, I I don't. There's nothing else you could possibly think in this situation. No. And then. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> this episode doesn't <laughs> stop hurting me. It's just, like, basically what watching this feels like is I, like, strap in, I turn on Crunchyroll, and then I let myself get, um, stabbed with a knife, like, every, like, (laughs) minute. It never ends. I do this. I I just have to comfort myself in thinking that at at some point during this time, Haru apologizes to him. Yeah. Like, at some point. (laughs) At some point, I don't know how old they were there. I think they might be a little older than they are in this age. Um, I think but... it happens, like, after the hat. I think it's happened sometime during, like... You think so? Yeah. Okay. That's my guess. That would, that would like, make a lot of sense. Yeah. No, they never say, but that would make sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So his friends at school. I, good kids. Those are some good children. Good for them. Yeah. You know, like, they're not real particularly- They were like, you seem left out. Yeah. (laughs) I love those people in the world that see someone that looks kind of sad and lonely, sees the kid that sits at lunch by themselves and goes and invites them to hang out. Those kids are always, I feel like, they've got good hearts. Yeah. That's Toru, you know? Shout out to those boys. Yeah! She collects weirdos. She sees the kid that's lonely and sad (laughs) and is like, guess what? You're my friend now. Deal with it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, that whole thing happens. So he, so he transforms in front of them. And at the, like, as he's monologuing about it, he says the line, in the end, my friends had their memories erased, with an extremely loud sound effect of a door creaking closed. And I really liked that they did that, and just you know the like motif of doors as a metaphor for the curse and how this curse is just like it it is physically and emotionally trapping yuki in this dark place that he just like absolutely cannot escape from Mm -hmm. um i like the inclusion of that super good very well done breaks my heart uh yuki yuki begging hatari to not and the shot of Hatsuri's face, who's, like, in high school. Yeah, like, I think, like, you don't realize, like, the first time you hear this story is from Hatsuri's perspective, and, like, you don't, I think, realize how young he was when this happened until you hear it from Yuki's perspective, yeah. and you realize that Hatsuri is, like, a fucking teenager. Yeah. And, like, it... This must have been incredibly traumatizing for Hatsuri as well. Oh, absolutely. It's a terrible situation for both of them. Like, oh, this traumatized teenager trapped in a terrible situation, uh, having a traumatized childhood trapped in a terrible situation beg him not to do something he absolutely has no control over. 
Yeah, he has to do it. Yep. <sighs> and then I liked in the next scene... First of all, I thought the sound mixing was really cool. Um, the sound mixing of Akito's voice behind the paper door. Yeah. And then I like that Akito, we finally see, because we've seen that flashback before, but we've never seen Akito open the window. I really like that Akito opens the window to to deliver the line about how he shouldn't delude himself. And, like, yeah, I, I like when, when Akito opens and closes doors, because Akito is the one who is in control of this situation. And so Akito is the one who gets to decide what doors get to be open and what doors get to be shut. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that was just, like, it lo- Like it looked cool. I agree. Like, I really liked the sound mixing. Um, and I-, I-, I love all the, like, shots of Akito in the round windows are just, there's something about it. It just looks nice. It's a, it's there's like, something about Akito in round windows. Yeah. It's just aesthetically really it's nice. Just, yeah, literally, it just, like, it looks cool. Um, I don't have, like, analysis about it other than, Akito and round windows looks cool. <laughs> yeah. But. No, East Asia said round windows, and I say good job, East Asia. Yeah. <laughs> good job on the round windows. Yeah. And then, oh, and then Akito is like, your friends are going to distance themselves from you because you're a freak and you're weird, and then all of their memories get erased. And even though it's like they're good kids, and this is not their fault, they do distance themselves from Yuki. So, yet again, another instance of Akito saying something, and then that actually happening, and Yuki having another piece of evidence to think that Akito's word is, like, God, you know? Like, everything Akito says is literally true. Um, So. Yeah. Not the ammunition Akito needs, but absolutely the ammunition Akito has. Yeah. And then Yuki sees Kyo. Yeah. With the hat. The hat. Which, again, like, he sees Kyo just having this thing that he desperately wants and will never have, which is, like, a loving parent who will hug him. Christ. Fuck! Someone fucking hug Yuki. Oh my god. Please. And it's almost, like, it's almost worse that Kyo doesn't say anything to him here. Yeah. Like, he could have said something insulting, but he just doesn't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. And that fucking hurts. And you get the you get the monster pupils again in this scene, once again. Sort of, like, yeah. Kyo in this moment. Because, like, when he saw Kyo out playing with the kids, it was normal pupils. And it was Yuki wanting to be part of that. And But then we have this scene of Kyo rejecting and turning away from Yuki. And you see Kyo become a little monstrous in Yuki's eyes. Yeah. No, it's definitely, like, interesting to see the the progress of how Yuki dehumanizes Kyo in his head because he has to, to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also part of the lore of the family anyway, so, like, it's just easy to be, like, to see this, like, monstrous side of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> and then he goes inside uh... with the cab. I can't stress enough how good Yuki's voice actor is. His child voice actor. The fucking crying. Literally, like, I I wanted to manifest into that hallway and just <laughs> scoop Yuki into my arms. Like, literally, so hard. I think, like, this episode is, like, back-to-back heartbreaking moments. 
but nothing like pushes me to tears the way this scene does just like and yeah. i think what really really kills me about it is both like this person is voice acting their fucking guts out and it's a little kid crying in a hallway of course like if you hear a little kid crying you want to like do something it's like fucking human or it's it's like a instinct but like i think what's especially brutal about this is yuki has been so ground down and so told that everything is hopeless that everyone like your situation you you everything is dark everything is hopeless nothing will ever get better it will always be like this but he can't even numb himself with apathy yet like even though it would be a comfort to just shut down he can't help but want like he wants to be comforted he wants to be loved like and the wanting is really what hurts i think that it's not like yeah. the fact that he's crying and he's like not like oh I'm whatever so sad I can't write dialogue on the fly uh, whatever but he's like what he's crying about is just how badly he just wants to experience literally any love from fucking anyone Jesus Christ just obliterates me also the art really good so like that panel is also one of my favorite panels in the chapter Mm -hmm. um but the thing that's, like, different about, like, Takaya and the anime, and I respect this because I don't know how it would really work in animation, is that Takaya relies really heavily on, um, Takaya relies really heavily on negative space, especially in Chapter 84. And I just remember this panel specifically is black with one square of light, and Yuki, like, crouched underneath it. But I actually, like, I loved the way that it looked in the anime, like, because I just think, like, he's still, like, underneath the doors, which, like, again, like, just the curse is just absolutely physically crushing him and is above him. But he's being, like, flooded with light from the outside, but it doesn't even matter that he's, like, being spotlit like this because he's never going to be able to really feel it because, like, where he is right now, like, he's never going to be able to go outside. Like, he's just trapped inside, inside of all of this. Yeah. <sighs> both symbolically on the nose also it was gorgeous um beautiful it was a beautiful shot yeah um the lighting was really pretty and um yeah i will never recover <laughs> and that's the halfway point of the episode yep and we've been recording for an hour oh god <laughs> Okay, listeners, we've been recording for an hour. (laughs) We're splitting this episode into two. This is the end of part one. Thanks.